Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. An Oscar race checkpoint that's like less of a checkpoint you stop and drive in at and get a meal and more of a checkpoint on like if you're running a marathon where somebody hands you a cup of water but you don't really stop the car for too long or (laughs) stop the race. You just kind of throw it in your face and go. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that's what we have in store with a couple stories for this uh, pre-recorded episode more so than usual. I am your co-host Mike One. Co-host also Mike can fill you in more about that. Yeah, we're cobbling together an Oscar race checkpoint. You're right. We're basically uh, in our fantasies running this marathon, mm-hmm. <laughs> grabbing just somebody's random water. Like I, I always see these marathoners grabbing water from people right. and they're grabbing cups of water that's obviously offered to them. But what if they like, for some reason, they're delirious on mile, in my case, two, and just mm-hmm. snatching somebody's like coffee or something and then yeah. you know, keeling over and that'll be my excuse to stop the marathon. I've always thought a good horror scene would be like that, but it's a cup of acid and somebody throws it in their face thinking it's water and ah, but that's October, so I can get away with saying that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, yeah. That classic thing that every little boy thinks of growing up. Drinking acid by accident that was being held by No, not drinking it, but like you splash it in your face because you're trying to refresh yourself. You think it's water and then, oh my God, my face is gone. Yeah, you Uh, really thought about this then, yeah. I've, I've, it's been on my mind for a minute, but you know, I'm just speaking what everyone else is thinking is, is how that usually goes. But, uh, so yes, we're hoping this may be a little more expedited. We're doing this kind of in two parts. Uh, we're working around my schedule cause I'm going to be out of town for a little bit. Uh, by the time you hear this, I will be up in the air, probably in a plane somewhere. So, uh, nice. we're, we're doing a little weird. We're recording this part super early. So for, uh, the first half of this, what you'll have is a trailer review. And, um, also Mike's going to tie up some loose ends and fill you in on some possible contenders that he has seen at the New York film festival since the last Oscar race checkpoint that you had heard, uh, where he really did a deep dive and gave us a review it was very efficient and, and great in hyping up those six films that he saw. Uh, the last ORC. And yeah, today's probably like five or five or six more reviews. And then next episode, we'll, we'll review a few more and we may have a guest host in that case. I haven't locked it in quite yet, but that'll be uh, a fun little uh, returning guest. Uh, it's like episode. a Frankenstein's monster of an right. episode where we're just piecing a bunch of stuff together and we're going to see how it plays and, and <laughs> hopefully it goes well. And if not, you can be the townspeople, dear listener, and come for us with torches and pitchforks. Hello uh, there, children. <laughs> Let's dive into it. Uh, We did have one big trailer for one assumed contender drop, and that would be the first full trailer for the Pixar film Encanto, Michael. Yeah, I just proclaimed best animation artwork of the year uh, because it was so gorgeous at the New York Film Festival to Belle, the dragon and the Mm. freckled princess, because you could see every freckle. I mean, it was just, you know, it really was perfectly animated. However, sure. I may have to retract that statement because this trailer of Encanto from the jungles to the mythical journey to the center of the earth thing they're doing as the trailer goes along to what quite simply is the most beautiful house in the history (laughs) of family abodes, this casita. I have never seen animation that just, I, I mean, I don't need to even 
you know, put the sound on for a movie like this. Yeah. Like I would just watch this in the background uh, of of any room on any screen. It's it's gorgeous. It, uh, it's really crazy how Pixar has remained so on the cutting edge of all things computer graphics and computer animation. And you're absolutely right. I underscore and and repeat everything you just said. The colors in this are outstanding. The design, the architecture in this for a digital movie, especially, is is really something unbelievable. I mean. The most beautiful house since the movie House, maybe. Uh, <laughs> that, all right, I, hold on. Have you watched? <laughs> listen, listen. I watched the first twenty minutes of House. I can't watch the the twenty first minute of House. Just some, somebody's got to assure me that that is a good watch. I know everybody's got the t shirts. I know everybody's got you know. Define good. <laughs> what the hell is going on with that movie? It's like it's like some driver's ed video. It's like when you go and watch some promotional video. For at a driving school, right? That's what I remember. Like, yeah, no, you. I think you, you should leave. Did it skits with that level of film quality for for this Japanese movie house? Like, what the hell am I watching? Anyway, I guess I got to finish it. But no, you said Pixar. This is remember this is Disney Animation now. But I didn't correct you earlier because basically the Disney Animation staff we covered this is all Pixar people. Oh now. God, you're right. You know, yeah. I have had this in my head since last year that Encanto was a Pixar movie, and it's just not. But it, it kind of is at the same time because again, all the right. all the all the old cronies from Pixar. Yep, yep, yep. We, right, yeah, right. We right. did like twenty seven yeah, okay. episodes covering this, so I don't not... know why. I this is not the first time I've made this mistake and had been corrected on air either about it. Like, well, but this I is going to be this is going to be the showcase animated feature contender of the year for Disney, who owns both, and and of course this seems like as I would say more of a Pixar movie than the the Pixar movie we got earlier in this year with Luca. Yeah, so right. it does. It, I it does look outstanding, and certainly does look like more Pixar than what we were used to seeing from Disney Animation, anyway. But I can't say based off the teaser trailer and now this first full look we get here. I can't say I ter- saw this turning into an Under Armour commercial from like 2003, where it's like <laughs> we must protect this house. So that's funny to you and I, and maybe a few others who that we was could joke. give yeah, the air high five any- to now. Any uh, anybody who was a high school athlete in the early 2000s, that's who that was a joke for. Because <laughs> we thought we were funny when we quoted it, because it happened a lot uh, amongst uh, a bunch of meatheads in uh, locker rooms. Yeah, look, at, mm-hmm. this movie is going to resonate so much more, to get serious for a second, because we just spent two years cooped up in our homes, still, quarantined, basically, and the importance of a home, of the home, of the family home is just exponentially you know more than it used to be and here they are fighting for their home this big beautiful family and such a big beautiful home how much more does this raise the stakes this plot line mm. now mm. after the I pandemic i mean it's it, it's gonna resonate and if that doesn't grip you in, then there's adorable characters, adorable animals, bright, beautiful colors, lush landscapes like we already described. The music is catchy, you could already tell. I think this is going to be another big win. And I know you mentioned in the last episode how open you think Animated Feature is. There's nothing I saw in this trailer that doesn't inspire confidence to think, okay, this is certainly going to be at least a contender in this uh, yeah. in this category once again. Yeah, I mean, this may be closing the door on animated yeah. feature. This movie, as you predicted, since uh, you know the beginning of the year, and and Thinking we, and we it both was a Pixar predicted. movie back then too. Yeah, right. I that's right. Uh, we were like, yeah, Pixar's <laughs> just on a roll, and we no, we didn't even correct it. No, we were we were 
both predicting this movie back then as the uh, front runner for animated feature, and it's given us no pause whatsoever. I love the fact that this regular character is is just put against the odds for saving this family like well how how does she do it why does she do it she knows she's determined to do it you get this willful protagonist that reminds me of all my cousins all my italian cousins (laughs) they're just like i love you guys if you're listening (laughs) christina etc this girl reminds me of you especially at that age so uh to have them be the hero of this disney story is something i absolutely love it's something we don't get enough of and she's going to really have to scrap and claw her way to be to to become worthy of that heroic uh, arc for her. So yeah. it's it's gonna be it's gonna be an underdog story. And then I think they're building out rounded characters, not only in the family but the community at large, which is very cool. Like this is a big, beautiful village. This is the jungle surrounding. This is you know this is gonna be something that's not just representative. Uh, on a certain level, culturally, it's just gonna it's gonna represent that community, the Columbia, the music, Mike, the music of yeah. this trailer. I had to rewatch it three times before we hit record today. I didn't have to, rather, I I wanted to because I just wanted to keep hearing that music. So Spotify yeah. playlists are gonna be clicked upon uh, for me as well. There, and on top of that, on top of this this beautiful story that could be told, there's all kinds of character arcs that are just being presented in just the trailers. I also like that Disney animation, now that I know that is Disney animation, I can make this point. They've kind of taken to making fun of themselves lately. They certainly did it in the latest Ralph Breaks the Internet, and they're kind of doing it here, this little self-deprecating, like you think this is going to be a girl and her pet story when she's down in the bottom of that cave at the end of this trailer and she's like well at least i'll have a friend nope you flew away immediately because the bird just t- i like that it's like yeah make fun of yourself a little bit make fun of the tropes that got you to where you are today i, I really respect that the princess trope of the princesses exactly know, cute adorable animal friend that that exactly. is perfect yeah no this was a rip-roaring trailer this is like two minutes jam-packed i feel like i I, I'm teased for every part of this movie that is just going to be a must-see on opening night. Yeah, and Canto uh, it may, as we've been predicting as well, and as not, not just us, but a lot of Oscar pundits, it may be a crossover hit if, if the music co- comes through. And if uh, I, I would say, again, if this field continues to be without you know, the heavy hitters that we thought from the beginning. Cause like, mm. I just think it's open. Like I, I get Belfast. I get, you know, we're going to do some Oscar, pro- Oscar prognosticating on best picture coming up, but I do think it's more open than we think. And in Canto, you never know. It could factor father, in. son and house of Gucci. Um, <laughs> as far as stuff that we really want to see in Canto is on the list. Let's talk about some stuff that you have seen already and let people know if they should really want to see it as we pivot to a make the case segment and wrap up some loose ends about the New York film festival. that is still ongoing as of recording time. Uh, Mike, you saw, you went into the city specifically just to see Benedetta by Paul Verhoeven. So I missed the screening over the weekend where there was the, uh, protest by the Catholics, by the mm-hmm. by a certain Catholic organization. And they're very upset about, I would say, I, I, more about the uh, blasphemy in, in regards to the uh, Mother Mary statue. And I get I get that, even though it is, it is a prop that is utilized in a very funny way, in a very meaningful way in the plot, by the way. But, yeah, all right, fine, I get it. They probably got some beef there. Now... Otherwise, this is 
This is a story that uh, is somehow hilarious. That was the not biggest really. surprise to me. But it's not like it's not like just taking stabs at the faithful necessarily. I mean, there's some of that, but I don't think it was like mean spear. Like Paul Verhoeven, obviously, he's not necessarily known for this. I don't think. I mean, but he, you know, he's had funny moments in movies before, but a lot of them sure. have been unintentional. <laughs> from you know, yeah. whether it's showgirls, I would say to, he's uh, not exactly known for his comedic stylings, but yeah, unintentional comedy might be where he thrives. Yeah, yeah. Arnold just being Arnold and Total Recall or something. <laughs> so this is like written jokes, which was very funny, and the place was roaring. Uh, Thousand eighty-six people can fit. In Alice Tully Hall, I realized wow. this. I did not know. I was like, I read that, and then I didn't believe it. I thought it was like just a couple hundred, because it. But I counted the rows. I was there early for this particular sp- screening. I had my stopwatch. I had all of that ready, and yeah, a th- over a thousand people are in there, Mike. And wow. this place was just roaring. It really was a, a fun movie-going experience during the film. Now. Varenhoven wasn't there. There was no representation from the film, so the standing ovation really didn't count. I think we were all pondering what the ti- the end title cards were saying as well, because that really matters to the story and how you think about it. And I actually liked the movie much more thinking about those. But there's only an 18.8 second seated ovation, uh, and I did. Oh, a seated off. ovation! I was in the balcony for this one. Yeah, so it really wasn't one of those. But that during the screening, people liked it. Now. All right. This is like gross history, just in terms of the historical time period. This is like. (laughs) Well, you, yeah, objectively, maybe so. And you also, like you have said many times, have come in with your own religious baggage uh, to deal with a movie such as this. Look, regardless of my baggage, and I do have it, I do. This is the plague. (laughs) This is, uh, (laughs) this is yucky stuff. This is ill. Like boils and plague and medieval uh, coming off mm. the... I forget the name of that where they just tortured everybody. What was that called? The Reformation. Not the Reformation. That's The uh, Renaissance? Not the Renaissance. The uh, the church just... Uh, Inquisition. Ah, ah. During the Inquisition, the Inquisition. And an awkward edit there. Inquisition <laughs> where they just... I don't, it's around that time. The plague, the Inquisition. Disgusting. Yucky. Could tell, I could see why everyone left the theater so horny. Yeah, go ahead. Right. It's just <laughs> hanging over your head for a lot of the movie, and that grosses me out. Even still, I, I think the movie overcomes it. So if you're afraid, there's one scene uh, other than that. You know, you, you'll get past it. Uh, film Twitter loves this movie a little more than me. Uh, but I, I really can respect the hell out of it. I don't know how he made some things work as well as he did, uh, but uh, this is really a, a, a composition that works, and you're not going to expect how this story is going to move. So it's another one of those that uh, I, you know, the, it delivers on the canned goods of being, you know, very sexually charged, which is uh, <laughs> something uh, uh, true about all these New York Film Festival movies so far, which is, makes for an awkward transition. It's on brand. Yeah. Yeah. Makes for an awkward transition from our kids' movie on Canto uh, applause. So, <laughs> but here we go. Uh, yeah. It's it's something that, uh, it's something that maybe a second watch would allow me to just sit back 
and kind of just uh, enjoy the filmmaking. Do you of have it. that desire? Do you have? Is it something you want to rewatch? Yeah, because now I know it's not going to be the 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 level of grossness that I feared based on the right. plague and the, the Inquisition stuff. Uh, mm. I could probably watch it again and enjoy the filmmaking more. So my grade is a little mixed. I'm probably like a B minus if I did put a grade on on Benedetta right now. But performances were incredible. It's such a weird ass, crazy ass story that it's it's worth telling. It's a true story, I think, which is which is nuts. Just try, you know, it's one of those stories that I, how has it not been told thus far? And uh, yeah, I, I'm glad that Paul Verhoeven tackled it. I think Verhoeven is just in making movies now to have the wildest directorial CV in Hollywood history. To go from RoboCop to Hollow Man to Showgirls <laughs> to Benedetta. I mean, th- this guy is just tackling subjects that are just wild and out there. Uh, as far as awards legs, is there anything here? I I would just be surprised at the end of the day. Number one, I don't know. You don't what think country the over sexually lesbian nun movie carries well with the Academy? Is what you're saying? Is it from France though? If it's from France, it has no chance. Like to ten or <laughs> oh, seriously to ten. There's, there's like three. It's a good point. It's just funny to hear you say it like that. Evenement, for one Venice, right? Uh, and then uh, there's one more movie that I'm forgetting from France. Uh, so, so this would be the fourth contender coming out of France. I don't even think it was yeah. one of the. Well, Ann Thompson was talking about the t- the final two over there, and this was not involved. But is it Italy? I mean, they're speaking French. Uh, I don't know. IMDb IMDb says countries of origin: France, Belgium, and Netherlands. I guess if it's uh, Belgium, it's got a chance, or maybe never Netherlands, maybe not though. I don't know. So, but no screenplay, no director, nothing sniffing around there. Yeah, last year, last year could have been a screenplay. I would say uh, adapted okay. screenplay. So you never know. It's it's well made enough, and I, I think it's got enough support coming out of the box here. Just uh, yeah, will people remember it? It's cer- it's certainly positioned well in December on a release, which again was why I wanted to make sure I could uh, I could see it, and I added a screening. So, and I will have you all know that I perfectly timed. I'm, I'm jinxing the hell out of myself here, but I perfectly timed. No, go with every, it. Go with it. Every single step of my public transportation, I was there early. I had a beer and some noodles at the local, you know, Chinese food down the street. I ate outside, but with the canopy of New York City underneath me, it really was nice. And then I, I got there plenty early. I counted up the seats. I'm a dork. I had my stopwatch. Nobody talks to me there. Then I know why. But yeah, no. Then seriously, I this I really timed it. I was very proud of myself. Well, from something you're very proud of, uh, <laughs> your approach to Encanto, to, to, or Benedetta, I'm sorry, Encanto. Good Lord, let's not make that mistake and confuse those two movies. People will get very, Same movie. Yeah. very horrified. Uh, to something you're a little more queasy about, Red Rocket is the other movie you wanted to review today. Yeah, so Red Rocket, it's such a strange experience here. Because the filmmaking is tip-top. Sean Baker of The Florida Project, Tangerine, etc., he doesn't make bad movies. This is perhaps his best directorial work, again, in terms of the filmmaking. It's high-paced. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw with the Florida Project, it was high-paced, but the kids were just speaking some gibberish for half the time, and otherwise they were talking shit. Like, the whole families mm-hmm. were just, just shit talk flying like crazy. It was, it was hard right. to follow the narrative. Here you get some of that, but this is, this is a well-structured plot. Uh, that I thought he directed the absolute hell out of. I want to see him tackle, uh, you know, his next ten movies. This man can direct. He knows exactly what he's doing, and and, and he and they get better and better. 
this was this narrative had the most propulsion uh of yet and you can really see where it was going uh, and he connected it via some sequences and then these these shocking moments of these huge events that happened throughout the plot line so red rocket really works as a screenplay if if you can not assassinate the main character and when I talk about character assassination, I do bring moral baggage to it. I do bring my own ethics to it. I do bring my own politics and, and religion to every movie I review. And I think mm-hmm. that's something that, you know, I've said since we started this podcast, like there is objectivity to strive for in film criticism. I get that. None of us are omniscient, though. None of us can escape our subjectivity and sure. therefore... Therefore, the fact that I work with high school kids every day, the fact that I work with kids this age, and the fact that there's a kid this age essentially, you know, preyed upon by a 40-year-old guy in this relationship, which is not illegal in Texas, 17 and is not, uh, I think the age of consent is even younger, which is not good, by the way. But I can't. I just can't get past that, and that's the unfortunate thing here. And before you call me a boomer or a hypocrite, and maybe all that's true, I gave the same criticism back with you, Mike, when we were reviewing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood two years right. ago, which was still one of our favorite movies of that year. Now, mm-hmm. both Sean Baker and Quentin Tarantino, through the stories being told here, are criticizing. They are criticizing the situation. They're not coming... Look, they're not validating the situation. They're not saying it's okay. They know that their characters are scum. They know that for for getting Mm -hmm. with these young kids and for being pedophiles, in my opinion, but for definitely being predatory. The fact that this story, so much of this story is like this Kenny Powers Lolita thing. The fact that so much of it is that, it's hard to get past. So I and I, I'll be honest with you. I think the Academy is going to have a hard time getting past it in Red Rocket, which is a shame because Simon Rex's performance is incredible, and he he bears it all. He's, uh, <laughs> I mean, he's real. This, I hope this is a, a career renaissance for him. That just, you know, I mean, he's he he is somehow, somehow so sympathetic, empathetic, and we relate to him off, you know, the this the plot line with Susanna's son, who is also excellent in this. Now she's twenty five, so I, I come back to this point. It was the same thing in, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And it is true. And I, I, I hate to say it, but it is true. If you casted a 17-year-old girl, we would all have pitchforks. The, the dynamic, yeah, the dynamic would, would feel a lot different than it did when you're ca- casting a 25-year-old to play a 17-year-old. There's no ambiguity. Right. There's right. no ambiguity. If you, if you work with these kids every day, kids this age, you have to be nothing short of a predator and a criminal to prey on them. Like, I just can't get past it in my brain because obviously I'm with these kids all the time and working with these kids all the time. They're kids. So it's Mm. absurd to me that this 25 year old girl who's projecting all this maturity to a degree in this. And you have all these, you know, these romantic uh, scenes with her and beyond romantics. She's not 17. It's like you put, think Elsie Fisher from eighth grade. You know, this Mm. is the same thing I said with once upon a time in Hollywood. A girl looks that young at that age. Right. Where 
just, why I get creeped out movie. by putting Ben Platt in high school hallway surrounded by high school, high school, high school. Exactly. Yeah. If you, if, it, if you had the visual obviousness involved here, and obviously, you're not going to show a 17 year old girl in these, and that's why Hollywood doesn't cast 17 year old right, exactly in, in movies. That's what like I was going to say, of course, of course, that's the thing. So that's the reason. And unfortunately, it's a double edged sword. And this character would have been thoroughly assassinated if this girl was a, a 17 year old actress. But Susanna Sun really does a wonderful job. If she was a 25 year old in this script, that's a different. It's a different world we're living in. Your early twenties, mm. I still, it, I would say, still frowned upon. Then you could call me a boomer because I'm like, I still, you know, again, you know, I'm the oldest of four younger brothers. I, I'm not, my, you know, my brother's friends. Come on, it's that's still gross and skeevy and wrong in my opinion. <laughs> but that's fine. Call me a boomer. That's that's not illegal. That's not criminal. That's not predatory. Fine. There's there's no laws against that. That's that, that's. Weird, but where do you where do you land though as far as a grade for this overall? I mean, you're speaking highly about the performances and about the direction and about the script, and obviously, yeah, you do have your own view on that to to wrestle with. So, where does that conflict in terms of a grade? Yeah, if th- this would be a high B plus if it was not for that relationship, if it was not for that moral quandary, because it's hard to give a movie that high of a grade when the story is is based on a character assassination. And if, right. if, if like, how do we empathize with the main character if he's a pedophile? And, and maybe, well, maybe people I, better than me can, and more forgiving than I could empathize with that character. And again, there's no ambiguity in terms of Sean Baker's feelings. He's not saying it's okay. Of course not. He's saying it is wrong, dead wrong. But, and that's the point of the film. And, and it's one of the points of the film. But still, like, how do you how do you get pet? Like, we're spending the whole movie in this guy's POV. Yeah, my only concern with it is that uh, you'd like to think it might rub the Academy the wrong way, but then you go look at Laura Dern's history and what she's been nominated for with that uh, Red Rose movie or whatever that was. Oh God, yeah, and uh, the, 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 but that's the eighties. You know, you would like to think we got past right. The 80s, you hope. And it's just like, yeah. God damn it! I know it's just. <laughs> There's no way else. Rambling Rose. That was the name of the movie. Rambling Rose. Rambling Rose. That was actually 92. So. Yeah, that was dead wrong. It was, and it was yeah. recorded on film. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fun. The worst scene <laughs> of our worst scenes ever, right? That was that title yeah. of that episode? Yes, I believe so. But, all right, uh, that's a recap of some New York Film Festival entries. More to come to finish out this episode. Yeah, so this is this is going to be an awkward edit b- before we go to part two here. So yeah, we'll we'll see you in two seconds. All right, so a few days have passed thanks to the miracle of editing. Let's let's roll into part two of this episode now, as Michael has more movies to enlighten us about, having seen more from the New York Film Festival. Yeah, I took a trip with my brothers. Two of my brothers. I tweeted there. Uh, mugging faces at the uh, German restaurant we attended uh, with beers in their hands. The uh, cuisine that you have taken in in your trips to the city, like, have you hit every continent? Like, is there Antarctic cuisine that you're going to try at some point? Or <laughs> That's what you do when you go in the city, right? Just go eat cool food. I, I would say, like, I'm trying to eat cool foods that I trust my digestive system to take. 
That's what I'm trying to do because I'm seeing three and four movies, so I'm not going. To I bathroom. sometimes look at like a, a box of milk duds at the movies, and I like have to run to the bathroom. And the stuff you've taken in before taking a train or after taking a train and sitting through, I can't imagine how your stomach's doing. You've got to well, have a stomach made of steel. You need to, you know, match the protein with the carbs. Is what I would I say. If everybody really, you know, you just can't like. You're not going to go to the granola store before. <laughs> Right. Store. If you go to the German beer, you're getting all that yeast. Just you know, make sure you have uh, you know a giant pretzel, a table-sized pretzel to eat. And by the way, the table-sized pretzel was next to me. So guess who ate most of that table-sized pretzel? <laughs> I hope there's at least one nutritionist listening to this program who we have made violently ill on their trip to work today, <laughs> just out of disgust for our lifestyles. But, no, but it was. Yeah. It was a you weird. You and your brothers. You you were hitting yeah. the German beer hall. You hit a you hit a couple. Uh, what were they? Chinese restaurants. Well, I did the last few days. Yes. So okay. I, I had ramen the other day, which uh, I will say this: the pork buns at the the ramen place is yes. worth the price of admission. I mean, ramen. I haven't had a lot of ramen in my life. It's mm-hmm. basically soup. Uh, right. All right, with spaghetti in it. Right. <laughs> Just <laughs> desecrating a culture. That no, <laughs> I look. I like the ramen. Don't get me wrong. I love the pork buns. Get right. me right. They did on look the pork good. Buns. They did look good. Did you tweet those too? I did not tweet those. Yeah. I should have. That was the sure. highlight of my yesterday. The movies had no chance on yeah. standing up to those uh, pork buns. So yes, you're right. <laughs> I've I've eaten some good food. My uh, my my body's handling it, so I know myself. I know I know my crowd. Like my brothers and I, we had a we had a real good time at the German place. We we didn't overdrink either. Like yeah, I mean they drank stuff out of boots, but they're young. They can handle it. Uh, we <laughs> weren't not like, that young. <laughs> <laughs> but it, my fear was that we were going to be there for like three hours, and we were going to get to the you know French dispatch, and everybody's going to be like, oh hello, oh hello. We're just going to be like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a bunch of disgusting uh, meathead idiots. Wes uh, Anderson politely asking the three of you to leave. Yeah, You've exactly. Make him give up filmmaking. <laughs> the smelly fat guy section. Right. <laughs> go home. Just go home. No, uh, we were we were gentlemen. We were fine. I mean, we had I had a beer, a beer and a half or whatever. It wasn't like a big deal. So nobody needed that section. That was not mm-hmm. what I expected to get into. But that uh, was self indulgent. Yep. I appreciate you getting us there. Uh, the French Dispatch. We uh, we saw that on Saturday. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun, Mike. Because I think you know rewatching all the Wes Anderson movies just got me ready for this to the point where even if it was bad it was going to be good and you get three of the most Wes Anderson-y short stories ever and the through line is this Bill Murray magazine you know and this this uh Owen Wilson vignette and this you know Elizabeth Moss story but I I cameo I would say that she keeps popping up at Tilda Swinton and all these cameos but Mm -hmm. then you get these three short stories they're about 20 minutes a pop, and they're all good in their own right. The The whole thing, though, is like how much do they connect to the actual French Dispatch, you know, hero journalist story that we thought we were getting from Cannes, right? How many reviews did you and I read and, and read on this show where we're like, oh, this is Wes Anderson's 
lionization of the establishment of journalism. Everybody's reviewing right. that, and right. I don't know what the hell critics are thinking when they talk about that. I mean, this is a treatise on journalism. Hey, by the way, go listen to our Titan review that should be up by the time you're listening to this. Go ahead. Right, so this is like about how flawed these journalisms journalists are as people, the, the tragedies of how alone they are, and the empathy you have for them, like Francis McDormand's character, like Jeffrey Wright's character, and that's great, but this is not the post. This is not Spotlight, which was kind of what I was expecting, which I'm glad I didn't get, I guess. I don't want Wes Anderson telling that story. Yeah, I want I, him telling a couple of goofy, fun stories like he does here. So is it anthology? Is it just three separate stories of completely different characters against the backdrop of Bill Murray's paper? Correct. And that's so if you know what you're going in for and you know they're going to be weird and you know that one's going to involve Lea Seydoux and Benicio Del Toro and he's a prison artist and you know the other one's going to be Francis McDormand and like these revolutionary Timothy Chalamet young people characters like this old uh, journalist is covering these young revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. And then if you know, like Jeffrey Wright's got his own story at the end where he's this uh, restaurant critic. And he's caught into this hostage situation where policeman Ed Norton is involved. You like that? Those are the three stories. So those premises work. The stories mostly work, even though I didn't love the middle one with Chalamet and McDormand as much as my brothers oh, did. They well, they they thought they, they thought it was great. That but there's comedy to all three. So if, if that's what you want, then you're in for a perfectly pleasant experience. And I just thought I, we were getting more of a cohesive story. That was gonna just have this journalists are our heroes theme that I didn't get. That being said, production design probably Oscar worthy, maybe cinematography, costumes, all what you'd expect from a Wes Anderson movie in that regard. As far as above the line Oscars chances, probably looking more like a Moonrise Kingdom entry than it is a. Uh, uh, yeah, I'd uh, be shocked. I'd be shocked. I don't think there are any. What am I thinking of, Mike? Why can't I think of the name of the? All I can think of is the best exotic Marigold Hotel. That's no, right, the is it? Grand Budapest Hotel Thank is what you. you're Good thinking. God, I could not, not think no, Grand it's not Budapest be, to save my life. Yeah. It's not going to be Grand Budapest Hotel, five nominees, no way. Right. All right. So, And obviously the problem with anthology movies is that there's not enough time to have a performance kind of shining a light on it unless it's the same person playing a bunch of different roles in the anthology. I had hope for Jeffrey Wright. There was some buzz about Jeffrey Wright, but you don't think any kind of performance from any of anything that's offered here is going to be making Oscars noise. He's really good in it. I, I would say if somebody had a chance, like my favorite performance in the movie is Adrian Brody, but why okay. would you give him? Because <laughs> he's funny and he's like his front and center. His, he gets in the face of the audience because he gets in the face of these other characters in that mm -hmm. first story. Uh, maybe Chalamet. Chalamet's got some scenes. and, and friend, They're always good, these actors. Like this ensemble, they're doing next level things, but the problem is none of them have more than like five right. minutes screen time or ten minutes screen time, you know? So if you want to see a Wes Anderson movie, a good Wes Anderson movie for a fun movie night, go see it, but don't expect to hear a lot about it come Oscars time, you think? No, I, I would say production design is its best chance, maybe mm -hmm. costume second, and then a distant third is probably cinematography. Okay, all right, but still you recommend it. I recommend it, and we had a blast. Like the the Q and A was fun because Jeffrey Wright and Leia Seydoux and a couple other Bob Balaban was there, Lois Smith was there. Uh, you know, we we have them in the theater at the New York Film Festival, and then. 
before and after we have Wes Anderson saying hi to the audience, and then there's a live Zoom call at the end of which Bill Murray is just stealing the show, kill, killing us with comedy. Go watch, uh, you know, go watch it on New York Film Festival's website there, Film Link, or I think it's on the Twitter page. I think they have it on their podcast as well. So that's pretty fun. It's like for 20 minutes, and my brothers were, you know, their their friends were laughing quite a bit, and so was I. I mean, that was the that was the highlight to me. Like the whole overall experience is. It, getting that out of film festival is great, especially right. when they order cocktails in the middle of their Q&A, which is perfect. <laughs> what do you think Bill Murray just does on like a Tuesday? What's his like? He's a party crasher, right? He just <laughs> crashes parties. We knew we learned that from the documentary. He just walks around cities and crashes weddings and parties. <laughs> what a life. What a man. What a uh, man. Sp- Speaking of lives and electric lives of Bill Murray's, <laughs> do we uh, do, do we would we talk about the electric life of Louis Swan here? What you took in? So I watched this via the Woodstock Film Festival. This was the first film of my yesterday. So we're filming this the day after I watched four movies with film festivals. The Electrical Life of Louis Wayne, Mike. Just a a, a first hour that. I mean, I was in deep smit. I was smitten. I loved this movie. This was a cuddly blanket for for an anglophile like me for a for a person who loves gorgeous cinematography artistic cinematography because the electrical life of louis wayne is about benedict cumberbatch cat painter and before he's a cat painter he paints everything else and the paintings literally become frames and the frames become paintings and after a while you don't know which is which so it's really gorgeous and innovative how they shot this movie and there is an irresistible romantic storyline between Cumberbatch and Claire Foy and he's hmm. he's part of this big family of little women like sisters that are just a joy to be around throughout for the for the first half of the movie so the first hour is just you know be still my heart and then right. you get into the cat painting stuff and of course as we know with cats <laughs> they will ruin your lo- no i'm just the what the problem with this movie is it deals with some very serious heavy subject matter of death and mental illness and this movie spirals down so heartbreakingly fast that i i just wanted to watch and stay with the first half i mean it's crushing it's crushing how how much this movie makes me love all these characters and then what they do to these characters. So it's cruel. I'm telling you all this right now because <laughs> my, I know my mom's listening. She probably would have loved, like she would, this is the type of, it's a mom movie for the first half and the second half, it's a Mike movie. And I no, I mean, it's, <laughs> you know, it, it breaks your heart. Is it a love story? There's a love story in the middle, yeah, yeah. I see, and I imagine there's a lot of heartbreak around the love story then and not so much caused by the cat. Yeah. Pretty much imagine the worst things that could happen. Yeah, all right. <laughs> so, but again, something that you recommend watching, and you are at least two for two in terms of the French Dispatch and the electrical life of Louis Wayne. Well, all these movies have their goods to deliver, right? I mean, the cinematography of Louis Wayne is worth the price. And then, obviously, the performances. Cumberbatch and Claire Foy. Uh, Andrea Riesborough's wonderful in it. Yeah, so that that was my first movie of the day. Then I head, headed into the New York City, and I saw a movie... What do we see when we look at the sky, which was awarded, Michael, at the Cannes Film Festival? I believe it's shot in Georgia, in, in Russia there. Now, there's a rom-com, rom-com premise. My, it's a meet-cute situation, a love-at-first-sight situation. But, of course, they're both cursed by an evil eye. So 
This is just what? natural. There's what? an evil eye, a malaka, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, but the next morning, they awaken as different-looking people. They're the same person. Their driver's license looks the same, but they awaken in other bodies in their own that's beds. That's interesting. That's, a, that's an intriguing plot. And they forget their main life skills. Like, she's a pharmacist. She just graduated medical school, and she's a pharmacist. She forgets everything about medicine. He's a professional footballer. Uh, English, uh, you know, a European footballer, not not real football. Sorry, guys. No, <laughs> soccer player. Wow. And now he's terrible <laughs> yeah. at the sport, right? And they both had scheduled this date together after their love at first sight meeting, and they stick to the date, but then they don't recognize each other. So this is like sad say la vie plot, but they both get jobs working at the restaurant where they would – have had their first date so the rest of the movie is about them almost meeting again and it's it's kind of adorable yeah that's cute that's a cute premise but it's sounds like do you ever get over the (laughs) the misery of (laughs) the the exposition it's told in a very cute way the whole story yes you get over it and and the movie does reward your patience uh, but there's often the question of what do we see when we look at the sky because he just keeps shooting the sky. And I just kept going, well, I see branches. I see houses. I see sky. I see London, so the I movie's 45 minutes too long. 45. And this is a cringy criticism from me because the director comes out before the film and in the most sincere pitch I've ever heard, I just wanted to hug him after he said it. He's like, every single frame of this movie, every single second is precious to me. And thank you for sharing my world and my life and my love. And it's adorable, this movie, because there's so many montages of like the kids in his hometown playing soccer. And it's joyful. It's wonderful. There's montages of like the, he must know some of these people with how lovingly he filmed in the city. Yeah. It's 45 minutes too long, and I don't want him to cut those scenes necessarily. I just think, like, this is a simple plot. You could have told it in an hour and a half, and most rom-coms do. Uh, There's a subplot about making movies. There's cute, adorable stories about dogs. Great movie for dog lovers. Uh, And then, like I said, for soccer fans, there's a whole plot with with soccer. So what what do you see when you look at the sky? If you have the two and a half hours, yeah, yeah, you can enjoy that movie. Louis Wan, if you like cats, what do we see when you look at the sky if you like dogs? Great pet movies, back to back. When you say they were cursed by an evil eye, like Sauron? Or, like, what yeah, is that? They mean? don't explain it. It's just she starts talking to various uh, rocks and gutters, and it's very silly how it happens. So she's a mentally ill person, and this is save. He's being saved by this. Yeah, but her, but it becomes a part of this plot. No, you're probably. I don't know. It's, it's a very strange setup, but it kind of works. I, I just, it would have worked better if he told it an hour less time. All right. Well, you're at least talking about films that you've seemed to have an appreciation for. There's not really been any road bumps or hiccups yet. I don't think we're going to get one in Come On, Come On either, are we? No, I think uh, this movie is undislikable. Mike Mills, 20th Century Women, Beginners, a favorite of the Academy. There's much more to the screenplay than I thought there would be, too. Like, I figured it would just be, you know, all right, it's an uncle having to babysit his nephew, right? Mm -hmm. 
But the whole reason for that is because the mother is dealing with the divorced father, Scoop McNary's character, who's having a serious bout with mental illness. And there's this ongoing ongoing conflict between the mother, quote, sister character, Gabby Hoffman, flashbacks to why she's estranged from the uncle, why the kid hasn't seen the uncle in a year, the uncle Joaquin Phoenix. So so Gabby Hoffman and Joaquin Phoenix are siblings? Brother, sister. What a group of performances like this kid it probably steals the show like this woody norman child actor just is gonna sweep all the best young actor awards this year so right there i mean to to be that talented and precocious as a child uh there's just this in-depth portrayal of this child character which i think is the point of the whole movie like this is a a podcaster goes around the country walking phoenix's character and interviews kids uh for his podcast trying to get their you know trying to get their opinions on global warming. And, and I mean, it's all about respecting young people uh, as as fully realized human beings, hmm. which is something that adults disrespect a lot of the time. Right, sure. And you have this child actor playing this child character who is just so well-rounded. Like, this kid has all these complex emotions like kids do. And, and he's so much better equipped at dealing with them than probably you and I are right now. Like, <laughs> we deflect in a hundred different ways on this, on and off this podcast. So, the, it's, it's very mature uh, in terms of its uh, exploration into how, you know, modern parenting deals with, you know, hopefully psychology and, and psychiatry. So that, I mean, there's something to say about these hippy-dippy Hollywood schools that you and I would never be a, any part of, right? Those freaks over there on the <laughs> West Coast. No, I mean, th- so you're giving a lot of praise and props here. Do you think it's more screenplay-driven, performance-driven, or direction-driven? Did Mike Mills write this as well, or is he the, only the director? I can't remember off the top of my head. I, I think he wrote it as well. I have the IMDb page open. Yes, yes. So he does that with all of his projects. I just think this is... To me, this is, you know, the a crowd pleaser. So if if he writes a crowd pleaser and he's already this well respected and he's got mm-hmm. this gorgeous uh, black and white cinematography and it's just this unstoppable force in terms of this you know narrative momentum that just really works and it's also delightful because it's just this uncle and his nephew goofing around half the time and getting into some serious chat chats along the way while also being a love letter to three cities, Los Angeles, then New York, then New Orleans. I, I, so Mike I would Mills be, saw Marriage Story and he was like, I could do one more. Right. I would be <laughs> shocked if this movie doesn't get Academy loved at, at the end of the day. Like, this is hard to dislike. This is this is like an easy pick for them for a couple categories. So who are those couple categories? If it's not the child actor, Woody Norman, then yeah, I would say screenplay. Mike Mills has got a ton of credo right there he he i i director's gonna be hard is it in that elite top five necessarily maybe not but joaquin phoenix would be an easy pick i mean he's uh, he's probably oscar worthy it's not an oscar grabby performance it's not filled with these huge emotions but it's very complex and he's acting off of all these kids i'm wondering how much he's improvising with the podcast it almost just seems like he just interviewed all these kids because every single one of them seems genuine so it's Hmm. almost like joaquin phoenix went out there and just interviewed a hundred kids on a podcast well better than him being dressed as the joker while doing it is it the uh the joaquin phoenix movie he's the lead he's the he's very much the lead but I wouldn't be surprised if Gabby Hoffman got herself a supporting actress. Not like she's uh, like to me, 
her and Woody Norman are the, the showcase performances of this. I, I'm just so impressed with her. She's been great her whole career. She's another child yeah. actor who just, in everything she's been in, uh, one thing, I mean, usually these, they're these Oh Hello New York movies, right? Where right. she plays this, you know, eclectic art school, whatever, art, you know, art uh, gallery director All those or freaks on the East Coast, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, <laughs> Uh, and she just, you know, is talking a mile a minute. And she does that here, but it's just like with all these grounded parental instincts and feelings, like she's the mentor character for Joaquin Phoenix while this movie's going on. Which And and, and also she's got this huge conflict with Joaquin Phoenix as a brother-sister because they had this big falling out sure. over over the mother. The mother died and, 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 and of course, the husband getting sick. So it's now, just, yeah, heavy. Did the black and white, do you think it, it it played its role with you? I mean, this is the first kind of Oscar contender that's in black and white that you're saying. I know parts, parts of the French Dispatch were as well, right? Parts of the French Dispatch passing also had some pretty incredible cinematography that, that I saw from Sundance. I didn't re-see it here, even though I kind of wish I did because Rebecca Hall and Ruth Negga and, and, and Tessa Thompson were all there. And they really were like you know, uh, front and center to the Q and A's and stuff. So that would have been cool to see them yeah. live. But I, I do, uh, I, I do respect, yeah, the hell out of the cinematography. I mean, how can you go wrong? I mean, you got all these joyous shots of New York, all these cityscapes uh, that, that flow into, you know, these, these, I mean, they're on the beach in California. They're in the middle of a parade in new Orleans. They're on this at the skate parks in New York. I mean, it, it really is something else. Uh, how they, how he shot this. Did you get the feeling that the crowd was taking it as well as you were? Was there like a buzz or their asses off? Like it was genuinely funny. And yeah, the new crown for biggest laughs of the festival that I've heard from come on, come on uh, previously held by the, the freckled princess over there with bell (laughs) (laughs) true story. But yeah, the the ovation for come on, come on was one minute, 23.9 seconds. So I was able and to. Time this was that. stopwatch timed. Nah, this was phone, but I got my oh, okay. phone out in time. All right, I was able to get that. That was the longest, which my guess is excluding Titan, which played for a whole credit song plus. So you, you know, we'll talk about that in a previous episode that we're filming next. Actually, <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, of the movies that you've seen and are talking about in this second half, or even in the first half, I guess you can include those as well. It you you sound. Maybe not overall highest, but certainly as an Oscar pundit, it sounds like Come On, Come On has the most goods that you can see translating into an awards player. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I think, I mean, it just just checks all the boxes, I would say. Like, and to me, like, you're not going to have a bad time watching Come On, Come On, A24, et cetera. I mean, it's just just all there, and it feels like a mainstream, very accessible film, even with the hippy-dippy parenting, (laughs) which is something that's... Hollywood and the Academy has rewarded before, even to sure. a more extreme extent with like uh, Mr. Captain Fantastic there with Viggo Mortensen. That's true. So, That's a good point. Yeah. So that, when the A24 titles card came on the screen, did, was there an uproar ovation? Did people like fawn yeah, over themselves you know or what, flip though? over? Yeah. It almost felt a little cynical or a little strained because they kind of really? blew their loads and maybe they heard me on the pod. <laughs> make fun of them because this was like yeah 824 i guess we have to applaud and it was a slow like you didn't know if you, i was the like what? slow sarcastic oh yeah. good for you <laughs> they, they turned on 824 somehow no but they didn't they still applauded it when it, when it popped up 
Unbelievable. Very that was job. the second because you know Mike Mills thanked A24 and then everybody applauded. Oh, and then when A24 yeah. came on the screen. They applauded again. Yeah. So. Mike Mills was there introducing the film. Was there a and A for this after or not? Yeah, Joaquin Phoenix was there, and uh, and uh, forgive me, one of the other actresses was there. I believe it was his podcast partner, and uh, yeah, they had some. You know, it was fun to see them live. Like he doesn't want to be filmed. Like he was just in his mask. Like I was like, is that really Joaquin Phoenix? <laughs> uh, the Joaquin body double for the yeah the Joaquin body. No, nah, he was there. And they just wheel out a Madame Toussaint's wax figure of him, it, and that's what he does for all his appearances. I, I just love how he he yeah he just shows up and he's in jeans and a sweat a hoodie, and everybody else throughout this festival dressed to the nines, and he's yeah it's, I I respect him for that choice because that's what I want to be wearing too. Honestly. Of course. Staying true to himself. I love that. Uh, let's wrap up here with Drive My Car, Michael. Not Something I know absolutely nothing about. Okay, so this is the screenplay award winner from the Cannes Film Festival. Uh, Ryusuke Hamaguchi. The uh, premise reads, Najima Hidetoshi is a stage actor and director happily married to his playwright wife. Then one day she disappears. So, Mike, this is three hours. And oh, it wow. felt like an hour shorter than uh, what What do we see when we look at the sky? However, it's still too long. Like, this movie, like all the critics were saying, like, I can't believe how fast this movie goes by. And uh, it does, but it still felt <laughs> close to three hours. I disagree with that criticism. But they did say, a lot, all the critics before this movie and, and the film festival director gets out there before the film. And he's like, these characters are compelling and rich. <laughs> basically ron burgundy talking about his mahogany bookshelves every critic wrote wrote this it's like complex characters and i would agree i mean this this is uh the if you're gonna be in for a three-hour movie you want to see characters go through as much as these characters go through and be like unveiled to us all so i think uh i think this plot is better left you know i I don't want to say a lot about it because it's a revelation plot where the mm-hmm. characters are, it's very theatrical in the sense that they're talking to each other. They're in a car talking. They're on a stage talking, and there's this play within a play. Obviously, they're they're performing Chekhov's Uncle Vanya, which of course is what? Uh, something <laughs> both mics are very well versed in. Well, I uh, what is che- what 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 did you say? <laughs> I, I read a little Chekhov back in school. The, the the Chekhov that we've referenced on this show is the principle of Chekhov's gun. Right. Where if you introduce a gun Correct. in the first act of your movie, yep. you have to fire that gun in the third act. I'm with you so far. So we got that. So there's there's Chekhov's guns and Chekhov's things in this movie, by the way. There's a and character really named well. Vanya, is what you're saying? Yeah, he's a Russian playwright, Mike, so the, the characters can be named Vanya. I see. But yes, I look, I think uh, Drive My Car has this uh, wonderful story for theater lovers, for sure. There's awesome, some awesome food and dinner sp- shots, I would say, for me. Mm-hmm. So this movie delivers on a lot of levels, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it's a great movie about women drivers and about Asian drivers. So kill those stereotypes oh, nice. dead, please. Good. Uh, 1980 stand-up comedians can go you know, F themselves. Uh, <laughs> and some and, in 2021, for a matter of fact. That's right. So this is uh, great driving in this movie, great highway driving. I, I almost wish I got on a train with a longer drive. Like, I wish I stopped 
at uh, so I could have drove home after this movie on a long drive, but I, I actually parked at the train station nearest to where I live, so I had a short drive. But I, I, I was. Uh, I was smitten with much of this movie. I get why it's a screenplay award winner at Cannes. It could have been a half hour shorter, but I do think Drive My Car is going to contend best international feature. The question I would have is, is he kind of just, this is his knock on the door movie, and he'll have a, a crisper film to kind of finally break through, uh, you know, maybe a more polished film. At, at could the, be a resume builder movie. as opposed to something that uh, smashes his glass ceilings, what you're saying. I could see that for the worst person in the world and for Drive My Car because these are young filmmakers. They're, they really are young and talented, but it's it's a it's an undeniably well-made film and a well-written screenplay that uh, I, I would recommend. Again, you just need a little extra time. So, you know, my belly's full of ramen at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe I'm. Maybe that's just me being a little uncomfortable. Maybe that's my. You know, you gotta go soon. <laughs> this is my. I mean, thank God I only ate two pork buns right, instead of right. four. Thank God. Uh, I'll tell you what, though, as as far as the entire trip and the entirety of both halves of this kind of Frankenstein's episode, where it was taped over multiple weeks, I not a bad offering. I mean, I think you were only down on one film out of what ten that you talked about, nine or eight that you talked about here. Yeah. Red Rocket, the more I think about Red Rocket, this here's a companion piece for the first half of the episode. The better a film it is and the better the filmmaking is. Like I've been that I can't get that movie out of my head. Maybe it's what was shown in the No, I'm <laughs> He's naked in the movie. Anyway. No, I think uh I think the poster came out and I'm remembering I, I mean it's just the cinematography on display at a film festival like this mm-hmm. shows you that these films are next level. Like you and I we do a lot of watch-at-home stuff. We've done these uh, other film festivals that are virtual. And you could just see the level of filmmaking is on a whole other tier yeah. with with a festival as big and as exclusive as the New York Film Festival as Cannes. I'm seeing a lot of these Cannes movies come come to the you know our shores. And it, it really is uh, some elite next-level stuff. For sure. Uh, I, again, I mean, the bright side of this all is that you know, the hope is when you pay money to go to a film festival like this, you're going to have way more hits than misses. I think that's kind of what was so disheartening for your experience at Sundance, but this is kind of what you expect for a top-tier premier film festival like New York usually is known for being, and you, you certainly seem to have gotten your money's worth out of this, as well as enlightened uh, myself, certainly, and hopefully the listeners, as to what can be expected to be seen come Oscar season and what they should be on the lookout for, regardless of whether or not it's going to be an Oscars player at all, if it's just a good time at the movies. Yeah, it's, I, I, I feel satiated as a cinema goer to put it very uh pretentiously mm. right then uh no but it, it does it does it feels like you're getting your your money's worth it in that regard and and uh i am glad i went this year uh in person which is uh something we were wondering if we should do or how we could do it and yeah i'm glad i'm glad at least you know that you were able to get out there and get back to your to your stomping grounds and give us these first-hand reports great job by you great job recapping these and i i think every studio should reach out and thank you for hyping these up because <laughs> for the most well, part that, hey the movies have the goods like you know some yeah. of the movies i didn't like as much and we kind of started the episode off that way and then and, and, and others I, I i really do take in so we got one more version of this kind of episode uh that'll be coming out next where uh i'll exchange you for 
Andrew Morgan of the Nomcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Just pluck and play. Yeah. Different co-hosts. The co-host roulette here. And uh, we're going to have a couple of big names. What are you talking about? Dune on that one? What, what other names are you hoping to get to? Yo, the power of the dog is the big one that he and I will talk about. I think we'll talk about the lost daughter, uh, the tragedy of Macbeth, Dune. Uh, that's probably stuff I'll talk about at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, otherwise, we're going we're gonna to recount our James Bond movie going guy night that the three of us had together very excited uh, we'll talk about that with the like a box office report so it'll be a a bit of an oscar race checkpoint mishmash uh in the next episode yeah an oscar race checkpoint mishmash yes as it always is and as (laughs) as always as well uh great job by you mike but we want to hear from you dear listener have you participated at all with the new york film festival have you taken in any of these movies at this or any other festival and what are your thoughts as to what also mike has laid out in this two-part uh frankenstein's episode type uh of of, i was going to say monster but now it doesn't work but let's just call it a podcast uh let us know you can leave us all those as well as any other thoughts comments questions or concerns you have about anything else we do here in the mmo empire on our social medias we are at mike mike and oscar on facebook and instagram at mm and oscar on twitter mike mike and oscar at gmail.com.com and on reddit we are available wherever you hear podcasts and if you're listening to us on the apple podcast app if you would be so kind as to leave us a five-star review that would truly make our day we thank those of you who have been able to do so thus far michael uh you just said what was coming next or at least at some point uh fill the rest of the schedule in for the good people and let's have some words of wisdom to end on well when you and i get together again we will be reviewing halloween kills so that is something we're both extremely excited about so you'll get a film study after its first weekend there for the beginning of uh of its second week that we'll talk about its box office, etc. big movie event, maybe an Oscar sprint profile. We shall. Oh, see. it'll be an Oscar sprint profile. <laughs> we have, uh, well, it's cool. Cause a lot of people are, are hyping up Jamie Lee Curtis. So you never know. Uh, we they have, better be uh, hyping her up because she makes it to the third part of that trilogy. <laughs> oh, I hope so for your sake. Now I'm worried about everybody. I'm worried about bond. I'm worried about Jamie Lee Curtis. I'm worried about everybody, but okay. We have, uh, we, we have Halloween Kills. We'll have maybe another Oscar race checkpoint before we review Dune. Or, I don't know, maybe we'll just review Dune uh, in, in a full film study that that week. Maybe we'll do Halloween Kills and Dune. We didn't plan that far ahead. I, I, I'm two episodes ahead. That's probably the best we're going to get. Uh, in terms of words of wisdom, you know, support film at Lincoln Center. Filmlink.org. I, I, again, I, I think... Uh, They've done a lot of great stuff throughout this pandemic. They put the New York Film Festival online. They all brought us back and, and kept things safe. And they got this year-round, uh, they got this year-round program for new directors, new films, where they discover a lot of people. They they thrive on uh, people who are uh, supporting them in terms of memberships, etc. So, FilmLink.org, go check them out. Uh, very wise words indeed uh, as well as we're, we're hurtling through October already so by the time you listen to this uh, be almost at the mid-October point so be on the lookout for more scary movie stuff and the Scaries Award Show I think it'll be our fourth annual Scaries at the end of this month uh, excellent yeah so, no yeah. I forgot about that yeah. that's, that's that's something to look forward every Halloween yeah. that's becoming yeah we gotta decide what uh, subgenres we're gonna do tradition unlike any other the Scaries that's right uh, that's a it's, a it's a totally <laughs> original phrase coinage that i just made up just now that nobody has any rights to yeah uh guys (laughs) when reality sucks you can come check out these film festivals and the road to the oscars with us we are mike mike and oscar trying to make award season year round without the stuffiness we will see you all very soon see ya